Welcome to Indie and Unsigned, a presentation of Zagnet Productions, LLC. Broadcasting live from beautiful Zagnif Studios in the heart of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, it is time for this week's episode of Indie and Unsigned, where we bring you tales of the independent entertainer on their way to the big time. Remember who you're listening to today, because you may see them on the big screen or hear them on the radio tomorrow. Hosted by yours truly, the legend in his own mind, the man, the myth, the mad karaoke DJ, Mr. Fingers. And without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Good afternoon, everyone. Good, beautiful afternoon to you all. Welcome, welcome, welcome to season two, episode two of Indian Unsigned. I am your host, Mr. Fingers, the mad karaoke DJ. And today, it is my pleasure. And my honor to have a gentleman that I've known for quite some time uh, by six degrees of separation on the show today. And he's going to come on and tell us a lot about uh, everything because he's a jack of all trades. A nice round of applause, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. But Mr. Ian Kane McGregor, how you doing, brother? Good, man. Good to see you. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has, bro. I mean, think about like a little background on how, how we met. I believe it was at it may have been before. But the best of my recollection, because he's drink a lot, was at the old, <laughs> was at the yeah. old fire old fire station number three. That's it. Or Miller's was it Miller's then? No. Well, see what happened. Yeah, I started working at that's uh, there was somebody else working that show back in two thousand two when I Got went it. to work for that company, yeah. and he broke off and started his own company. But I was his backup guy, and he went to the owner and said. This is the guy. He went to Harry and he said, Harry, you you want to bring this guy in here. I think he can bring you, you know, bring you a good crowd. And you know, Harry, he's like, Yeah, well, you know, if he, <laughs> if he does the job and gets it done, we'd we'd like to have him come too. I've seen him do, you know, he's he's good, he's okay. He's okay. Yeah. And uh so I, I wanted to take him that show from two thousand two until whenever he sold it to um can't remember the young lady's name. Uh, but when he sold it, I think Joe, when he sold it to Joe, yeah, and then we were there for about another six months or so. We stopped doing karaoke, and then she had to change the name and all that good stuff. And then Harry wound up taking it back over, and it's about a couple of years later, nine or ten, uh, ten or eleven, two thousand ten or eleven. Uh, that was when he brought me back in because I was working. Oh, at, cool. Okay, I was working at Sully's out of Chantilly on Thursdays. Then got it. When Sully's went out of business, and Harry, for a guy that you think does not is not aware of what's going on around him. Mm-hmm. Harry's Harry's a smart cookie, man. A lot of people underestimate him because uh, yeah. it wasn't two weeks after Sully's went under when I got. <clears> I hear you don't have the Thursday show. You want to come <laughs> back? There? I was like, yeah, man. I come, I come back through. Yeah, I, I love that guy. He's, he's awesome. Um, you know, I knew him for years just through, you know, hanging out around that TTS and firehouse scene and all that stuff. And you know, my band played there so many times. And at some point, I just sort of took up a residency at the end of the bar because I used to drink a lot. So, um, but then, you know, there was a point where you, I, I'm not sure if you just kind of fell off and I guess disappeared over to, uh, over to Sully's at some point I just stopped hanging out altogether. And so, uh, I was gone for quite a while and went back to see him, I don't know, about a year ago. Good to see he's still there. Yeah. Um, we were back, we moved to Oklahoma, the family, uh, we all moved out here in, um, 2018 and, at, at that point, I had a residency going at the Fairfax, the Fairfax Fair with the karaoke competition. So uh, I came back that following summer 
And people knew I was coming and they're like, hey, man, you should come do a show here. You should come do a show here. I was right at Firehouse. And there's no disrespect to any of the other venues I've ever played. It's just that Harry, Harry has a gruff exterior, but if Harry likes you, he'll try <laughs> to take care of you. Sure. And we, I think I was at Firehouse for, um, I wound up, we wound up stopping the Tuesday show and I stayed there until the Thursday show until I left. But he kept that Tuesday show going for God, six months, seven months, which was sure. about, which was about five months too long because it wasn't getting the same support. I think he was trying to compete with Shabine. Yeah. I think Shabine was having, and man, you threw, you just threw in a relic, TT Reynolds. <laughs> So that uh, I got an idea just about how old you are. Just <laughs> it, uh, it's like going to buy alcohol now, and you show them your idea, and they go, "No, that's not right." I see the one on the year or your birth date, so if you good. Yeah, oh, no, wow. I think you and I are either close or I'm. Uh, who knows? I'm, maybe I'm older than you. Who knows? Uh, well, I just hit the half century mark uh, in June of last then, year. Then we both hit it at the same time. Okay, all I right. Was, May twenty third, so I'm right before you. Oh, a month. That's right. A month before you, a month <laughs> before me. Look, man, you've had some milestones since I seen you last. I wanted to get into that, and then we'll get into the music stuff. So, sure, you uh, you had some uh, you had some uh, good things come about in your personal life since you and I last broke bread together. Yeah, I mean, that's let's see. Um, I got married in October this year, uh, if that's what you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in that time, I've even had a child since the last time I've saw you, seen you. I think. Oh so, man. My son Grant was born. Uh, that was a while back, and then of course uh, I married my wife Lynn in October this year. So yeah, it's, nice. it's been a pretty amazing time, even with the even with COVID. It has been, man, because you know it's funny your your Facebook post, like you have, and I don't know if it's just you uh, uh, putting the brand out. You always have that when you you know that look that look when you <laughs> pictures. Like I'm like, dang, that's yeah. the first time I've seen him smile on social media. That like, <laughs> like Lynn, Lynn, I don't know what Lynn, Lynn, whatever you're doing, yeah, keep doing. You it. She's I, watching right now. So I, 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 yeah, he and I have shared some laughs face to face in the bar, but I don't think I've ever on social media seen him smiling, cheese no, big. So you must be a good, good woman. Congratulations yeah, to you both. Um, so we want to get into we want to get into this. So you currently play in like what 17 18 bands or something like that right well, now? Th- thankfully now just two no in fact i would say that the uh the bulk of my time and the and the focus of my musical life is a uh, band called american jet set and we formed a couple of years of <laughs> there you go yeah it's a really nice shirt you got on there man yeah no right um no so we formed in 2019 and uh it was just sort of a put time when um I was doing some side projects in music. I really was even thinking about getting out of music. And uh, my buddy Jeff, he's the drummer in our band. He had been pestering me for a while to, you know, start a, you know, a rock and roll band, sort of like '80s hard rock. And I really didn't want to do it for a long time. And then for whatever reason, you know, that last time he hit me up, I was like, you know what, this is it. Let's do it. Let's let's write some songs. So um, we wrote and recorded an EP within like a month and a half. Then we found our guitar player and our bass player the next month, and we were playing within about four months of starting the band. And it was a crazy roller coaster for that whole year of, of, of 2019 because we played with almost every one of our rock and roll heroes. Uh, from oh, yeah, the- like drop some names, man. Drop some names. I want to hear. Uh, well, I mean, they're not important to a lot of people, but LA Guns. Oh, yeah. Um, I know about LA Guns, man. Yeah. Remember, we together. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's Faster Pussycat and all these bands that, you know, we grew up listening to and idolizing. 
And um, because those bands were sort of having a resurgence because rock, in fact, in 2019, the best thing that was going on uh, and, and, and COVID kind of killed it is that rock was kind of having this resurgence, right? So all these bands that were playing to, you know, 200 seaters five years before, they're starting to do like 800 seaters and 2000 seaters, like, you know, LA Guns playing 2000 seaters now. And that's just been unheard of over the last 15, 20 years. Absolutely. So, yeah, so they were starting to do really, really big shows, and we were we were joining them, and so we got to be the premier act that was opening for all these bands. So, 2019 was an amazing, amazing year for for music for me and for our band. We did, you know, we toured the country, went out to LA, uh, and we were planning on a, a return trip to LA uh, to open for Pretty Boy Floyd at the Whiskey, and then COVID hit, and that got moved around a bunch of times. In fact, it's still on our schedule. But I, I anticipated getting uh, moved again. But um, but then, you know, through the COVID uh, time, through all of 2020, um, music kind of was up and down. You know, we were trying to record. We actually ended up recording an EP that still hasn't come out. Um, and then a couple months ago, I decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing something on my own. Uh, not to, not to, uh, to put the band aside, but more to talk about things that, I was sort of experiencing because of what was happening in the world. And these were things that I really don't talk about in the music that American Jet Set does, um, where we are decidedly a non-political, non-issues type of band. So Monster became sort of the outlet for this art that I wanted to create around the topical stuff that was happening right now. So that's it, just Monster and American Jet Set for the moment. Nice, nice. And man, I, you know, the funny thing is all that time we talked, I don't think either one of us knew the other one did music on the side. It was oh, when right. I saw I, it was when I saw you start posting the pictures on social media of the stems when you were in studio. Yeah. And then I started hitting you up. And I think I don't even know at that point if you were doing work for the band, if you're doing work for other people. And then all of a sudden I saw American Jet Set coming soon with the logo and the right, I mean, right, right. And, and all of that good stuff. And then the CD hit. And I'm gonna touch on the '80s rock in a minute, but yeah, he hit. And every time I looked around, you guys were like, you you essentially lived a musician's dream, where you went from concept to gigging, and not just any gigs, not just pay, playing some place where no three people are half paying you attention and maybe getting a bar tab. You guys went from concept to paying gigs, opening up for some from notable names in yeah. less than a span of 18 months. Oh, we did all that within months. I mean, with literally just a couple of months. So, you know, the good, the good thing for our band is that we all kind of came from bands that had been doing this before, but not in this, in the genre, not since we were teens at least. And I was in a band called 23 rainy days. That was a pretty big band. And so I all, I had a ton of contacts as a result of that, of that experience that I kind of brought into what we were doing with American Jet Set. So from a promotions point of view, I was talking to the promoters immediately when the band came together and vying for position on these bills. And so we would get, we, you know, we got put, you know, I don't know, opening slot of a five band bill in front of, you know, Bang Tango or something. And then we did really well and sold tickets. And then, you know, we moved up a step. And so we did that very quickly and then promoters were bringing us in for those shows. We ended up being the band. So that kind of peaked when we played with Tom Kiefer of Cinderella at Tally Ho. And 
that was phenomenal. You know, it was 600. Excuse me. Yeah, it was. Excuse, look, I, I got all the other names you threw out there, but you send them. Come on, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was 600 people in that venue. And it was really cool because, you know, we were we were kind of building up a confidence about what we were doing live because we go all out live. I mean, it was it's just a freaking unbelievable time. So we wanted to take it up a notch and get some crowd participation going. And that's a really rough thing when people don't know your music. Right. So we have a, we have a song called um, Monsters, actually, funny enough. And it's the closing song that we do. And so we introduced, um, we introduced kind of brought, you know, not brought Tom Kiefer on stage, but we introduced the band that was coming up next and had the crowd chanting along to our, to this chorus of the song. And I'm telling you, man, it was, (laughs) it was a moment of a lifetime because, you know, there's not many moments that that you can get like that anymore, especially now. So it was, it was a real, real rock star moment for sure. I'm sure, bro. Listen, I any anybody that knows that knows me, like that's like in my inner. Not to say that you're not, you know, but yeah, yeah. Anybody that knows me in my inner circle, or even if you follow my Facebook post, they know my 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 group is Boys to Men. Period. From the minute (laughs) that Motown Philly hit the airwaves, I have every album I can tell you who all was a member of the group. Sure. My wife is like. Oh, you know, my son will come in and go, boys and men, who's that guy? I said, don't wait. And my daughter goes to say something. And my wife will go, nope, wait for it. And then my, I go, you don't know who Wanye Morris is? What do you mean you don't know who Wanye Morris is? So what you're equating right there would be the same. as I would, to, to be playing a venue and opening for boys to men and introduce yeah. them and have them come out. And then I would drop back and sing the bass part because I don't have the bass anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, girl, I'm sorry. Oh my God, I would to be able to do that in front of to be able to do that in front of three or four hundred people would I would never stop talking about it ever. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten an opportunity to meet them at meet and greets, but sure, wow, that dude, you are seriously, you seriously have lived the life of a rock star in a very, very short amount of time. Which, although fortunately in your case, you're still functioning and don't have any, any <laughs> you know, most oh, rock yeah. stars, they, they hit it big. And then in two years, they're breaking up the bands fighting. And then they show That's up true. unsung, uh, unsung about 25 years later. So, you know, it's I, funny dude, though. I, I talked to my buddy about this and, you know, when you think about it, you know, bands like American Jet Set or, or others that are like us, cause there's a couple bands out there that are doing this at the level we are. And we, we joke all the time about, uh, being lucky to have not made it because now we're just as happy doing this right now, but we don't have all the pesky problem of all the bills we, we probably have because those guys don't make a lot of money. You know, they're struggling to like, look at them now. I mean, there's no, you know, it's not like they're working at a technology company or something. Those guys are struggling because they can't play live anymore, you know? So, um, you know, we can, you know, I'm okay with where the way it worked out for me. Um, no, I didn't make it. I had a lot of really, really cool successes in music. 23 Rainy Days played the last tour we did was on the MTV Music Awards tour. So that was awesome. Um, yeah, it was really cool. And the more you talk, the more you talk, the more jealous I get of you. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get too jealous. But we did. There were some really cool shows, though. You know, um, you the stuff with MTV was awesome because... You know, this is the first time, first experience playing on a stage where there's cameramen everywhere. You know, we had seven or eight cameramen on stage. 
there were two or three boom mic operators or boom uh, camera operators out in the stands that would just fly right up on your face. So that was a crazy experience. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of glad the way it worked out because I've done a lot of things that I've wanted to do and I didn't have to pay the price for not spending my, you know, spending a lifetime um, avoiding a real career. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't think of any better way to put it uh, where that's concerned. I mean, so what will wind up happening is even, God forbid, but even if something happens and you're never able to get to that level again, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not from Virginia, originally from Georgia, but when I got to Virginia and started hitting the bar scene, there were these band names that I heard all the time. I heard about the Johnny Artist Band. I heard about Andre Fox. I heard about... Um, Oh God, what's the guy that lives down in Manassas and uh, Pete Evick? I heard of sure. you know, the, the Evicks and the things like that. And then well, he uh, plays with Brad Michaels, and he has for a right. many years. Yeah. And uh, what was the other band? Uh, the guys were from Centerville, and they did the commercial in the Vatican. Sev. Sev. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I actually got to meet. Now you know how old I am for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, I I remember hearing that song and seeing the commercial, and then when I moved to Virginia. Uh, when I moved to Virginia, I was at a show and, you know, I played music between singers and I threw on Sev and they're like, dude, what you know about Sev? And I was like, I just know they did skateboard tricks in the Vatican. <laughs> right. He's like, he's like, you know, they're from here. Right. And I was like, get out. Because they were uh, at that point, they were doing a, a show at they did a show at TT Reynolds. And I think right at the first part of the right before everybody they got shut down. Did yeah. they do a reunion show somewhere in D.C.? No idea. Year, something like that. I don't that I don't know. I in fact I don't even know the last time I've played live at all. I, th I think um, it was last year, sometime right before everything shut down. Because I had friends from all over the country that were from Northern Virginia that were trekking back to Northern Virginia for this show. It's like 15, 20 people. Uh, so I, I'm assuming it was Sav. Because anyway, the band from back then that I loved was uh, Two Skinny Jays. Oh man, are they from, <laughs> are they from uh or is that is are I think they they're from there? I think they're from New York or something. But they used okay. to travel down here all the time. Yeah. You know. To I, the bayou. Yeah. I never achieved that level of, I mean, like, you know, you and I were talking before the show and I'm saying, you know, I, I wanted to be an entertainer. I just yeah. have the, I didn't have the confidence to do it. You know, I did a, I grew up playing music in church. So that's where I got my piano background from. And I did a gospel EP. It did. Eh. You know, I'm 23. I knew nothing about mixing. I did the whole thing on a Yamaha four track uh, cassette. Sure. With a $99 Casio CTK 1000 keyboard and a Shure SM58. That's it. So <laughs> I had I had the CT 1000. Yeah, I had. To, I still remember. Yeah. Yeah, I still re I still go to YouTube and listen to the demo songs. I, that's how deep <laughs> I go with this. Time. But you, I, I, I have been nothing but thoroughly impressed for for a man that you know you and I have never broken bread together, hung out with each other's families. Uh, I have been nothing but thoroughly impressed with what you have brought to the table oh, so far. Look forward to hearing more. Uh, I say that like we're ending the interview. We're only twenty minutes in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I had a question for you because you you seem to be a man of all trades. Like you've got you do most of the don't you do most of the design work and things of that nature? Yeah. So my 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 you know, my real job, if you, you know, we want to talk about that. I've spent my career as a designer uh, for okay. most, most of my time. And uh, now I'm a creative director with a, with a company out of, out of uh, McLean. But yeah, so most of the, most of my life has been spent in branding and in advertising. 
So all of the the things that I get out of doing the band are the aesthetics, you know, the aesthetics of everything. I love the branding aspect. I love the promotional aspect of it. And I love the, the live aesthetic, you know, the, how, the, the way the band looks, the way the band presents itself, the sound, you know, the, the actual sound of the production. Those are all the things that I'm absolutely in love with. And I, to me, they're all kind of part of the same thing, even though people kind of segment those things in other, in, in other um, projects. You know, this guy's going to do this, this guy's going to do that. Um, I just kind of see it as all one big thing. And I always have. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, those of you just joining the live stream, thank you so much for joining season two, episode two, Indian Unsigned. Mr. Fingers, your host. I'm here today with Ian Kane McGregor of American Jet Set, and he's got this project coming, this project that just released today, uh, Monster, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Uh, and you can check out the chat on the uh, Facebook page under Indie and Unsigned. Feel free to join the chat. My wife is in there, I believe, and she's monitoring the chat. Uh, so if you want to uh, chat with her and uh, Ian's wife is also in there, so you can stop in and say hello. Um, if you want to check out Ian, his uh, uh, www, if I got this right, if I got it wrong, correct me. It's uh, www.wearemonsters.com. And that's where you can go and check out what he's got going on right now with this project and some cool merch. You got more merch? How do you get more merch? And I didn't find out. <laughs> It's yeah. actually, I decided this time I'm not actually printing things and sending it to people, though. So this is actually an on-demand thing. So if you go to Teespring, the Teespring store, you can Boom. actually order directly from there. Boom. Okay. See, if I'd have known about that, I'd have, ordered, I'd have been wearing my, my, you know. That's right. Well, you got a good one on. That's like the best one you can have. That's the classic one. Okay. Yeah. This is the, like, brother, this was this was in a, I, uh, I put this in a vacuum bag. Oh, wow. I have a, like, all of my, all of my, like, I've got, uh, t-shirts you know i went out and snapped up a bunch of t-shirts when mj passed and yeah i've got t-shirts that custom t-shirts i made from some of my from some of my karaoke shows and missed the fingers branded stuff i just took all that stuff and i realized man this stuff some of this stuff's 15 20 years old if i don't you know right yeah yeah it'll it'll be gone you know the mom's so it was in a, i was frantic i mean like right before we came on i had on another shirt i said oh man i gotta go get my shirt and then i couldn't find it i was in a panic I was like, oh vacuum bag so it's still so fresh and so clean clean uh well you know we got i got a couple others i'll send them to you um i'll figure I'll, we'll, we'll touch base on size and i'll send you a couple that we're that we're kind of phasing out anyway 2xl my brother i have there been up in the house for 10 months and uh, <laughs> my wife bought me a traeger for my birthday and uh yeah let's just say uh like the church people say god is good but all i can say is ribs are good and uh but Amen. not for my waistline <laughs> yeah let's not talk about that yeah we we won't we won't at all <clears throat> 40 pounds i gained anyway um got that covid weight yeah man i'm trying to get back to my old fighting weight uh so you 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 are a very uh talented you you are exceptionally talented at promotion at production so do you do all the production for the band also do you have a producer or well for monster is all me producing it um that's what I love doing. It's probably the, of all the things that you can do for me, defining the sound of anything that I'm working on is just a huge part of it. I, it's what I love. It's why I actually left playing in a band to be a producer, a pop producer for several years. And uh, so monster for me was not just about 
sort of the issues based songwriting. It was also about getting back to producing, uh, exclusively producing the, the, the music. So in uh, American Jet Set, I ended up producing the first EP, but then we wanted to move it more into a live sounding, uh, you know, to make it more live sounding more, more, I don't know, what's the authentic, you know, because I tend sure. to, I tend to produce things. I tend to make things polished and, and cause I have a pop sensibility about how I produce. But so we decided to go with the producers that had been, had done a, a ton of work with some amazing bands. He worked with SR 71 and a variety of other folks. So we got in the studio, we recorded what is called saloon rock whiskey pop. That was the last album we put out. And Love That's my jam too. I just, I was going to get to that. That one is my jam on that, on that. Is, yeah. it, is it a full album? Or is that one just the EP? Uh, it's a long EP, but we, I mean, we call it a record because it's, you know, it's the longest thing. <laughs> it's the longest thing we got. So we're calling it a record for the sake of that. That is my jam right there. And that, the title of that one is, uh, the actual title of that one is, I keep, I want, I keep wanting to call it Saloon, Saloon Rock Whiskey Pop. Uh, never, is it never be goodbye if I got that right? That's, yeah, that's the last song on the record. That's the ballad. Yeah. I love that one because it's just, it's just the band. Yeah. It's just the band all singing on Saloon Rock. Whiskey, I love that yeah. one, man. So, yeah. that, uh, but I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I wanted to touch on that as well. Look, you, I, I, I would describe to anyone who's watching right now, who uh, knows Ian and wanted to check him out, show him some love, uh, but haven't actually heard the music. And and if I'm wrong, stop me. Yeah, yeah. Go you ahead. have you have a you you your sound. I would say you you have a little bit in your in your voice. I think young Ozzy. But the band and the material with American Jet Set, definitely a motley crew, a motley crew kind of mm -hmm. hairband, 80s kind of feel. Yeah. Uh, which is where, where you mentioned earlier with the 80s rock. I mean, because you've got um, you've got uh, Walk and Contradiction, which is kind of every hairband in the 80s had the anthem to the femme fatale, to the <laughs> good looking girl that everybody wanted to get with. But she just yeah. the wake of guys destroyed in her wake. Um you know, uh, 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 to, um, uh, golden nines where that was kind of the, 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 it's kind of a, a rock band anthem, like golden nines. I, that's the kind of the song. If you all had more time to play and, and gig in other venues would be the song that when you start playing it, that everybody just loses their mind. Cause that's the one that, that and, um, that and never be goodbye. Those two songs that everybody would be singing along with, you know, mm -hmm. Kill the music and be like, y'all sing the chorus. Yeah, <laughs> people singing, you know, so it's definitely, I definitely get that feel. That that's the feel that I get when I when I listen to uh, with American Jet Set. With, with yeah, American that that, that whole that whole record was meant to be. Yeah, well, yeah, Jet Set. So just in general, it's funny that you draw the Aussie comparison because I don't know when it was that we first got when someone first said that. We never. I never thought of it at all because yeah, I've listened to Ozzy all my life, but it's not even on my radar in terms of an influence, you know, vocally. And I'm never, I'm just really not a good singer. So I never really, you know, I only really ever think of the direct influences on me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so someone actually likened my voice to Ozzy and I thought that's weird. And then after listening to it again, I'm like, yeah, I guess I can hear that a little bit here and there. Um, but yeah, you're not the only one to say that. That's pretty yeah, funny. Def definitely, definitely like a, a young, a young, uh, a young Ozzy at that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on, but come on, bro. You really couldn't draw the comparisons. Have you taken a good look at I your promo? Have you taken a good look at your promo pick with the eye <laughs> pick up? Come on, man. That is well, classic Ozzy. 
Well, so the funny part, no, I, I mean, afterward, after being, you know, kind of called out in that way a couple of times, I started hearing it in songs, especially in, um, in a thousand ghosts, which is on that same record, mm -hmm. that opening of that song sounds very Ozzy. So hundred percent, but you, you're dead on with the, the band in general. I think, um, when we went into the band, uh, when we went into the whole project, we had this idea that we wanted to sound like and look like a band that's been around for 30 years that you just had never heard of yet. Right. And that was the entire thing. We didn't want you to ever think we were a local band. We wanted you to feel like we were a national act. You just didn't know we existed. And, um, and all the bands you just mentioned, we were, were all on our, all on our, our sort of wish list for, for we, we kind of want to sound like this. We, you know, so we use those as templates as a way of drawing influences and pulling them into the songs. But sure, it was Poison. There's a lot of Poison on that record, the one you're talking about. There's uh, always a crew reference at some point or the other. Oh yeah, and, and I, that, could I could definitely see you. I could definitely see Jet Set uh, killing uh, a remake of Smoking in the Boys' Room. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're huge crew fans. I don't think there's a, ever a moment where <laughs> one of us isn't talking about the first record, the second record, or the third record. So yeah, it's it's always a crew conversation. Yeah, I and um so. Tell me more. We wow, you you actually went right into my one of my next questions. Um, what what is like outside of what we talked about? You you encompass uh it's like a, a I don't want to say cornucopia and I don't want to say mix uh, mishmash, but you have several different styles, like a saloon rock whiskey pop. There were several different styles of songs. If you because if you um a lot of the a lot of the bands of the 80s, they either they they either went boom, this is what we're doing, and this is where we're going. Like uh I want to say uh Van Halen, especially during the um David Lee Roth years. They were like yeah. you know, real heavy, let's go boom, 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 boom. Um, and then you had uh groups like Poison that could be they could go, uh, they could go with a dance tune, or they could hit you with the "Every Rose Has Its Thorn." So mm -hmm. you guys have you this this particular EP, a lot of a uh, lot of different. You kind of hit on all eight cylinders in this because you had you had a ballad, you had a, you had a band anthem, you had the 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 the, the ode the ode to the uh, the ode to the woman about town. Is uh as politically correct as I can put that. <laughs> <laughs> so you so is there any one style in particular that you would say that you favor more than the other or? No, I think collectively that that record um to me because it is a long EP. The way I kind of look at that is like if you if you had if you had someone's full record if you had say faster push again if you had their full record but you stripped out the parts that you probably would skip through. To me, that's what that saloon rock record is. It's like the best of the songs we would have put forward for that record if we if we had them. And I think that um, they might seem disparate in style, but to us, they felt very connected because, you know, starting with, you know, the record starts with um, the Cowboys kind of riding into town. And then that, that opens right up into that bar anthem, you know, and throughout that whole thing you can feel that sort of western rock and roll some some of it hits on some zz top at different times oh, yeah. there's there's all kinds of weird things that connect that thing from beginning to end and then of course it leaves you with the with the the ballad and the anthemic part of part of that 
where people are walking off, then the riders leave, the train leaves, and then it kind of wraps the whole thing up. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, definitely just some different styles in there, but we've definitely connected it through by way of any number of, of things that are unique to our band. Well, I honestly can say that it is a, uh, uh, you know, I hadn't even considered that. Um, and I've listened to it several times, but I hadn't even considered the fact that you were kind of telling the story from start to finish, which is another thing that was huge in the, in the eighties and even more. So it started bleeding over into pop and R and B and hip hop in the nineties, where you kind of have an intro and there's a theme that follows along the, 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 the album. And then it closed, then there's a closeout. Uh, so it is masterfully done, sir. Um, Thank you very much. Appreciate very it. Very masterfully done. Um, and one of the things that I admire about what was it that made you when you, when you did American Jet Set that said we want to do we're gonna get in a, we're gonna get into this next project in a minute. We fit the first half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about American Jet Set. No, it's all good. What was it that made you say we want to we want to bring back? And you're probably the first musician that I've run across in in about that time frame you mentioned about 15 20 years it says let's bring back guitar driven rock well like i mentioned there was a rock resurgence i didn't know about it though when we started it so that's kind of an interesting piece you know maybe we were just feeling it like everybody else was that it was kind of missing from missing from the world i mean i still think it is and um you know you've had you've had emo and a bunch of different you know guitar oriented music but we wanted to do just fun music. We wanted to do music that, you know, you weren't thinking about. It wasn't a bunch of depressing nonsense. It was just, let's just turn everything up and play. You know, that's kind of what we wanted to do at the time. And at the beginning, it was probably just going to be a sort of passion project. But almost immediately after we got into it, we were like, well, let's go play live, you know. And then that's when we found out, oh, wow, all this stuff is actually going on right now. Um, to kind of push this back into, into the, uh, into the mainstream, you know, there were a lot of bands, um, you know, Greta Van Fleet and, um, uh, a couple of other bands that were sort of, you know, leading the charge on sort of classic rock, I'll call it, uh, you know, for lack of a better word. And we just sort of jumped on the, on the coattails and were, you know, taken off. We love it. You know, it, it, it's a blast every time we're on stage. So, about you know i don't know if we're bringing anything back as much as we are just you know performing for ourselves most of the time but people absolutely love this music not ours just not just ours but every every time you go to a show people are reacting to that music because they haven't heard it in forever and it's yeah. i mean and you have a there's a huge demographic that's been the two the two biggest demographics that i say have completely disappeared in terms of uh music popularity is rock is first and then r&b is second now i'm not talking about uh i know what you mean but like i'm not talking like with r&b i'm not necessarily talking i'm not talking about drake i'm talking about the boys the man the joe sees the, the the you know the 90s sure the night for me i'm I, li- I love all music but i'm definitely an r&b guy you know i was raised on the philadelphia sound the motown sound mm-hmm. you know i the isaac hayes and the barry whites and the harold melvin and the blue notes before he broke off and did the teddy pendergrass thing uh i missed those days especially during the 90s there was an explosion of r&b groups i mean you couldn't 
you could throw a rock and hit an R&B group. You had your 112, your Voice to Men, your uh, 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 uh Jagged Edge. Uh, they were everywhere. And all of them could sing. Uh, Silk, I forgot about Silk and H-Town. But and then over time, it just kind of it devolved into a lot of solo acts. And then from there, hit, I mean, you listen to an urban station. If you want to hear an R&B song, you have to listen to um, like a W-H-U-R you know howard university radio just to get that and rock is the same way i haven't heard rock on the well honestly truth be told i don't haven't listened to a lot of radio lately but you don't hear rock unless now unless you're in the grocery store and you hear it on the music well, you know, listen to the you know, classic rock station there's two things i think that happened what's re- really interesting is that christian rock actually ended up filling the void of that sort of missing I'll call it that sort of Daughtry-esque rock and rock that was out in the 90s and the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of filling that void on some level. But the other thing that's you know now just irritates me is that everything starting in around, I don't know, 2012 um, became a hodgepodge. Everything got stuffed into one song. So you can't just have a rap track or a pop track or a rock track. It's got to all just be everything, everybody and everybody, every person that's, you know, on the songs, like five different artists shoved into one song constantly. It's the, I'll call it the, the era of the collaboration. Right. Oh, you mean like the, you mean like uh, Nelly and Tim McGraw, all that. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I'm kind or of, even the single or even the single artist, the single, the, the, or, or uh, what's the, little Nas X and um, Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that, that they ha- we've we've let go of all these styles as unique styles, and then tr- we're trying to serve all those audiences in these little bites in parts of songs, right? right. And it's it's just frustrating because there's so much more to the to that music than no- just the little nods they try to make in these tr- these collaboration tracks. Just don't get there. Yeah, I mean, rock music is rock music is incredible by itself. Pop music is. Awesome by itself. Some of it is a little too bubblegummy for me. I have listen. This is a, a, a guilty, guilty pleasure admission here. I had heard of. I, I was aware of the K-pop movement, but I wasn't tracking any of the music. Sure. Until that one song popped up on the um, the tele, the phone commercial for the sale. Yeah. I think it was. And I was after I'd seen the ad about eight hundred times in three days. I said, "Well, let me." you know shazam this to see who this is and i was like oh bts and the next thing you know now i've got now i've got dynamite <laughs> I've got dynamite in my playlist um, but you know it's all but the thing is it's all awesome by itself it doesn't necessarily i mean it's okay to have a little something every now and again it's i think music is suffering from uh music is just suffering from business in general i mean how many times have you seen a successful product come out and I don't know why the thigh master comes to mind for some reason. Like the Suzanne <laughs> Summer sold sold two million thigh masters, and all of a sudden everybody's selling something to squeeze your thighs together. Like sure. you got you got a knockoff. And so you had that one great huge collaboration, and all of a sudden the record labels were, ah, we need to be the next this. Like, no, just find your next great unique thing. So I agree with you hundred percent on that. Well, what happened, you know, I'm not sure when it exactly happened, maybe around 2008, maybe, maybe before, I don't know, but there used to be, you know, you have people that were at a low level, like local artists, right? And then you had all the pop artists at the top. 
But then there was this huge middle class of musician. And these were people that were playing bars for a living. They were touring on their own and supporting themselves with, with record sales or t-shirt sales, or whatever. And then because the way the, the, the labels changed everything because of streaming, um, that all changed. So now you have this very narrow band of top tier artists. You have a, just a huge, vast chasm of nothing. And then a, a, just an enormous third world of musicians. So there, that middle class of musician is kind of gone. And oh, yeah. so it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to step above the, the, the fray of this low tier. I'll tell you exactly when it happened. Rebecca Black and Friday. That song was put out. <laughs> that song came out on YouTube. I know. I remember it. And now everybody wants to be the everybody wants to be the next big thing. The the catch me out the catch me outside. I've been recording music for how long have you been recording? I, I can't even talk about this. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm just gonna ask you how long have you been how long have you been recording music outside of since I was 14, 1984. I've been uh, and I've been recording music for the same amount of time. So we're talking we're both the same age. So you're talking 52 years of recording music, recording, yeah. producing, promoting, selling, gigging. 52 years. Yeah. One 13-year-old child goes on Dr. Phil and says, "Catch me outside. How about that?" and gets a seven-figure record deal. Yes. So she has a viral video of her acting very uh n- not personable sure of course it's, it, <laughs> i'm trying it, i'm trying to be politically correct on this here i mean look yeah she, she was acting the ass i'll say it mm-hmm. and, and got a million dollar record and i'm like do you ever do you ever see these instances and, and ask yourself the question how is this happening you know i i used to when i when i before i sort of gave up on the idea that it was ever going to happen and that actually happened when i was in 23 days you know we we toured the country. We were, we, we were together for 10 years and we were sought after by major labels. We did three or four showcases. Two of them went for Atlantic. So we thought we were going to be signed. You know, we, we thought that's what was going to happen. But I remember that whole last tour leading up to the, you know, th- through the MTV award stuff. I just knew it, I was over it and I just didn't care about it anymore. So for me, I used to just get just so out of my mind about stuff like that. But now I'm kind of just, I'm, I made peace with it. You know, there is no way I could predict why that girl or any of the other people that are, you know, performing music right now that don't have talent or, or, or whatever, they've got something though that sells. And I, you know, and, and I didn't. So congratulations to them. But no, I, I, I made peace with all that a long time ago. Well, I'm not necessarily hating on, I'm not necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. hating on her. Sure. It's just that, how is the chance, the chance happen, happenstance, uh, you know, this, 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 this weird one in a gajillion chance happening to folks. It seems to, in this day and age, to happen to folks like, and who knows, maybe she didn't even want to be a rapper, but they came out and said, hey, you know, your name is big right now. We'll give you a record deal. we we'll do boom, boom, boom. And now she's got this, you know, she's, she's huge. Well, it just proves that it proves that what sells is not necessarily quality music. And I think one of the things I try to tell my daughter, you know, we, I mean, I love, I'm a huge rap fan and in my mind, there's good and bad music. There's good and bad rap. There's all this stuff. Right. And what I try to explain to her is outside of my opinion is that there is good music 
and then there is very bad music, meaning poorly written music. I may like music that is poorly written, but it is not does not make it good. Right. right? And the same goes for rap and all the other things, right? And what I call that other thing, that other it's not good, but everyone likes it. I call it cheeseburger music. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like McDonald's. You know, they can sell a billion cheeseburgers, but it doesn't make it healthy for you. It doesn't make it good. And you might go listen to a jazz record and get so much more out of it, but you might not want to listen to it all that often, right? So I think it's just it's a matter of what people want to hear at that given time. You know, uh, there's nothing we can do about it. It's unfortunately, you know, will persist for you know as long as people make money at selling music. Yeah, absolutely. I or mean, anything else. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's just you know, I just I I you you hearken back to the stories of acts that we loved that actually put out better than decent or very good music, and you hear the tales of how. I mean, even case in point, the the Jackson Five, Michael Jackson dying, and Michael Jackson passing away as the quite possibly the largest music superstar the world has known in in its existence and how their dad was taking them around and they were doing talent shows and playing gigs and uh Sudette, Suzanne DePass I believe her name was from uh that was working with Barry Gordy said you really need to see these kids and he brought them in and that's when you see the infamous video of uh 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 Mike doing the James Brown little Michael Jackson doing the James Brown and singing I got the feeling and boom now Flash forward 50 some odd years is the hugest music star on the face of the planet. Well, now, look at Beyonce, Beyonce, even, you know, with her dad dragging her around and, and putting all that stuff together on his own. There was no guarantees and all that. They were just doing it. Yeah. Oh, if you even want to look at the sports world, I don't know how big a sports fan you are. LeVar Ball, as of recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, look, we won't even get into it. Let's just say sure. it's, it's a guy with a loud mouth that people thought was annoying. <laughs> they said he was annoying. Uh, the thing that made him famous was he made a video that went viral and said he could uh, he could whoop Michael Jordan in the game one on one. Oh no! Um, and uh, but but here we are in 2020. All three of his sons are signed. Uh, oh my to, god! To good deals in the NBA, That's and they're not bad basketball players. They're not. I don't think they'll ever be MJ qual MJ LeBron Kobe quality players, but they're sure. very good basketball players. And all of that notoriety got his sons into the NBA. I don't think they would have gotten that deep a look, but because he made that much noise, Mm. that happened. Um, So ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning into the live and you've been watching for a little bit, season two, episode two, Indian Unsigned, Mr. Fingers, the mad karaoke DJ back on the airways with my homie from Fairfax from the fire station number three or the old firehouse grill or Miller's Tavern or Stone Cold (laughs) or Dharma or Crossroads or whatever. Oh my God. Go there. Uh, Ian came. Yeah, Dharma. I think it was. I think when when I first moved to Virginia, it was either Dharma or Crossroads, and yeah, I think yeah, the yeah. Name had changed by the time I started working there. But uh, that yeah, goes a long way. God, ninety. Yeah. In fact, I remember playing the show there in ninety four, and you had to actually crawl. We had to load everything in through the the back window, which there's now a door there. It used to be just a bit like almost like a bay window. You had to crawl through to to take all the gear onto the stage, which the stage, by the way, was like that big. It's not much bigger than that now. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> true. Where, where was where was where was the back door? Where the door is now. Oh, you mean the back door by the exactly by the restrooms? Yeah, all that was it just looked all different in the back. But yeah, you used to load in through that window, put everything down on the floor, and then kids would just sit all around on the floor while you played. It was a weird experience. Oh wow! 
it was definitely more of a coffee shop vibe at the time. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, look, Harry, if, if somebody is watching this, this <laughs> Fairfax person, tell Harry that he is getting a lot of pub uh, pub today. That's right. Here on the show. Harry, when I come and see you, I want another one in prime rib sandwiches, please, sir. You got to eat it hot, though. That's Amen. my problem. I would order it and then be gigging. And by the time I got to eat it, it was cold. And bring the ribs back. Do you remember when they had ribs? I don't, you know, the last time I went there, he changed the whole menu to like, it was like a Middle Eastern menu the last time I went. Yeah, but you've been going there long enough. You were there before me because I didn't move to Virginia until 2000. I I was probably drunk. At one point, he had ribs on the menu. And when I tell you, they were better than Famous Dave's. They were were better than Famous Dave's. They were better than whatever the other barbecue chain Mm. was that was floating around. They were delicious. And I was heated when he took them off the menu. But he replaced it with a primary of sandwich, which I also love. So I ah, can't, there it is. Can't complain. So so we have been talking for about 40, almost 50 minutes about American Jet Set. Sure. Yeah. I want to talk about your new stuff because that just dropped today. So tell me about the monster project, man. Well, it's been going it actually, I think, launched um two or three weeks ago with the first single, uh, which was called Brave New World. Mm-hmm. The whole thing came about uh, because of course you know, 2020 was just a crappy year for everybody. And, um, I just became frustrated with social media because, you know, with all the election and all the things that were going on, my views sit geopolitically somewhere between the far left and the far right and a whole lot in the middle and just communicating with anybody online about issues became a nightmare because I would get attacked for having an opinion. And it just used to drive me nuts because, you know, people talk about the fact that, you know, we have free speech, but we really don't. And the reason is that government doesn't have to, the government doesn't have to uh, do anything about your speech because everybody does it for you. You know, you got this mainstream view and if you deviate from the mainstream, well then all of a sudden you get painted with the crazy brush. So um, you just, I stopped communicating uh, and sharing my opinions. And so I just wanted a vehicle to, to do that, but without, you know, being peaceful about it, you know, something that I could put out as a piece of art and talk about the way I felt about the sort of dystopia that I kind of feel like we live in. And so, uh, the first song, Brave New World, uh, I put out, I want to say it was about three weeks ago. And that was sort of as a response to, you know, I think a lot of people have said things that think it's about the virus, but, um, but it's really about, um, authority in general and the idea that you know we sort of give our power over to these people that call themselves an authority and without any without any real idea about what they're you know what they're actually trying to what they're telling us what they're doing without checking them you know what I mean right uh, so that song was written about that and then apocalyptica for me was a bit more of a biographical song, even though it's all written in the metaphor about this fictional city called Apocalyptica. The idea is it starts with this eight-year-old boy uh, growing up in this city that has these massive walls, and uh, the he, he's in, he's in complete awe of these walls, right? And it's a lot of pride and patriotism around these walls, and he has this this fascination with growing up and protecting them, being a guard on the gate of these walls. So he does grow up. He becomes a part of the military. He protects them. Then as he gets older, um, he starts to realize that it was all sort of a lie, that these walls were really just meant to keep the people in and to control the people. 
And then that, of course, ends up leading to the revolution that happens at the end of the song. Do you by chance, have, did you by chance ever see the movie Aeon Flux? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Does that sound familiar to you? Remember yeah, well, the there, giant cloud that was circling around the city? Yeah. Well, any any sort of any dystopia that you're uh, that you're watching on film, you know, rings true to that storyline. Mm. I mean, 1984 is a lot like that because obviously the story there is that all these wars are supposedly happening around this country, and it, the story constantly changes. So over time, no one really knows what's happening. Right. No one's really ever sure of what the, the real story is. But yeah. they know they're embroiled in war, so they have to be good. Yeah, I mean, you could you could throw a whole bunch of Logan's Run. You can oh, even yeah. throw, you could even throw Demolition Man in that uh, in that mix. All, all of them. Every all, single the one. The Matrix. Oh man. You know. Your last chance, Neil. After this, <laughs> love That's that right. movie. That's right. I don't think that went very well, Morpheus. It went exactly. <laughs> How do you figure? We are still alive. I love that movie, man. There you go. I love well that I, I just I did like bits and pieces of like three different movies, but still it's in um both of them beautifully done. Now tell the folks where they can find oh I just did you can find it at www.wearemonsters.com. Uh, also, if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at at we are monsters. Is that correct on Twitter and IG? Just leave out the last E. Yeah, M-O-N. S-T-R-S dot com. We are M-O-N-S-T-R-S dot com. You can go to the website. You can download the music. You can read the whole backstory. You can pick mm -hmm. up merch. Uh, and then you can follow all the developments on the Twitter and the IG. Brother, I got to tell you, I don't know how you do it. You must have TweetDeck or something like that. I, <laughs> I, the reason that I say that is because I got this whole thing. I don't know. You know what? I'm congratulating you on all of your successes with the with with, with American Jet Set. Zagnif Productions, obviously the Zagnif is a, uh, what do you call it? A palindrome? No, not it was a palindrome where you run it backwards, where you run a name backwards, like Oprah's production. Yes. Yeah. So Zagnif Productions, that was where we got the name for it. And uh, we literally just filed articles of incorporation, I think. Three, oh, congratulations. Three weeks ago. Yeah, so cool. it's all official now. Something I should have done a long time ago, but hey, better late than never. And this whole concept for bringing the show back, as soon as I signed the articles, I got home and was telling my wife and showing her stuff. I said, we need to bring the show back. She said, well, go ahead, baby. Do what you do. So here we are three weeks later, four well, weeks. Thanks later. for having me. I appreciate it. It's awesome. I, oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Um, I, I was going to hit you up. You would have been on the show three years ago if we hadn't moved to Oklahoma. But then at that point, you weren't at where you are now. No. So absolutely. everything in life happens for a reason. I actually have a question for you from the chat, and my wife posted it. And I'm sorry, darling. I just got around to looking at the chat. It says, during your travels, what city stands out to you as the best show that you've had or ever enjoyed the most? The best show? Well, you know, I think it also depends on um, what it meant to you at the time, I guess. My favorite show I've ever played in my life was likely opening for Tom Kiefer at Tally Ho, which is in Leesburg. Oh, that's a great um, you. That was, they're just, you can't beat that from a performance uh, performance and experience side. But I think 2380 Days when we were playing uh, and touring, we played a place in Chicago when we were playing to nobody. And I mean, it was just, it was a rough time you know, getting all over the country and playing to nobody, but we were trying to, trying to struggle through and make it. And we played this place called Reggie's, which is 
I mean, it's enormous. It's like the 930 Club of Chicago. And we had no idea what we were walking into. 930 Club, dude. You're making me feel old, bro. Well, and so then, and then when we played Reggie's, though, that night at our, our merch table, we played this big place. We just had more people at that merch table than I'd ever seen at a merch table in my life. So then, lastly, last experience was the last show of that MTV Awards tour was at, um, not Wild World, what's it called here? Six Flags. Over in, over in um, PG County, and so playing at that place and coming home to that show was just awesome. You know, here we are, we're playing to like a thousand people, and there were just these boom mics flying up in your face, and you know, taking a video, and then of course later seeing our video up with the MTV logo in the commercials and stuff, pretty amazing. So, do you I'd still say, have do you still have a copy of that video? I know it's online somewhere. Oh, okay. And I, I, bruh, I would be posting that. I would, if I had something like that, that would pop <laughs> up in my feed about every two years. Remember this? I was well, on the <laughs> You know, you you graduate to these new, new moments that you're more proud of, and I think that's kind of where where I am with that. That that world is long gone to me, but it was a great experience. So I'd say to answer the question, best experiences were um, at home with Tom Kiefer, Reggie's in Chicago, and the whiskey in Los Angeles. Okay, very nice, very nice. I, now I want to jump back to the monster project because we kind of touched on it for a couple minutes and got away from it with the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I noticed uh, something as I was reading through the uh, notes, uh, reading through the, the bio and the, and the development of the project. This is a family affair. Uh, well, at least the re- yeah. So the record, the idea of this project, and the even reason why it's called Monster, um, is because I wanted, even though it's primarily me. I wanted to have anybody that wanted to be a part of it with me, anybody that wanted to join in for to collaborate on the music. I liked the idea of multiple people with different points of view that came together to write, to put out a song um, talking about any number of issues. So the idea was that it was creating a monster by all the people that would, you know, sort of a sum of its parts kind of idea. So even though it is just me, I like bringing other people into it just so there are other points of view that are putting forth these these notions. So the first person I included was Brian Kimes. He's been playing with me for years, and he lives out in L.A. And I asked him if he would, <coughs> excuse me, if he would contribute with the bass parts, which he did to both songs. That was awesome. But the second song, Apocalyptica, was particularly um, amazing because my wife and my three kids actually sang the gang vocals that happened at the end of that song. That's what I was talking about, the family affair. Yeah, I, was like, just, I was like, yo, he's got his family on his joint? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was really happy that they did it because the song is pretty intense from an emotional point of view, and it's not a sentiment. You know, the idea of, of singing about how your you know country has kind of done you wrong isn't necessarily a topic that people want to align themselves with. But what I love about all the collaboration is that it's people that might even think differently than me that were happy enough just to to be able, to be able to put that message out there, even if they might not even agree with it. And I think that's really what the whole project really at its core is about. The idea that we should just be able to talk back and forth with each other without arguing and screaming and, and calling people kooks. Let's just have conversations. And I think that's what this is. Absolutely, sir. I think you I think you sum that up in about 30 seconds than most people could in a four page Facebook post, which I generally tend to skip by anyway. <laughs> matter, even if they make perfect sense. Um, 
all I had to say, man, is you have been uh, under. Well, I say undercoverly. The 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 the, the lid was off once American Jet set, which is that thing. But you've been undercoverly hiding all this talent from me, bro. And I have been nothing but impressed with everything that you have brought to the table. Well, thanks, man. Uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, looking down the road. And even if it's not a big time thing, and even if you just get a liner note or a credit on something, some huge something. I look if I look up and I see you, your name on a, uh, in the Grammys is a nominee song <laughs> of the year or That's something hilarious. like that. If I see your name, I I I, I hope. When you're getting the interviewed afterwards about this, because you know that every radio station in Northern Virginia will want to be in DMV, will be interested in having you on then. Yeah. Like, Look, man, appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, <laughs> 10 years ago, my man Fingers, <laughs> him was karaoke voice. He had me on, so y'all late to the game. Y'all should have beat. But, uh, but uh, no, nah, man, seriously, I, I have enjoyed everything you put out. Uh, I think my wife and I are going to put that on, and we could probably order some food to sit around and get. Uh, sit around and get fat and sassy. And listen <laughs> to some uh, uh, some uh, American Jet Set and some Monster. All right, and chill out. Um, I did tell the people where else if there's anything I missed uh, where they can find you. Everywhere online, uh, I am at wearemonsters.com. But uh, more than that, you can check out my band American Jet Set at facebook.com/slash American Jet Set. And hopefully, we'll be back on the road, and you can catch us wherever you live. Okay. Well, listen, I got a couple more short questions for you before we yeah. jump up here. Like, we don't necessarily have to jump off at the hour mark, but I know you got stuff. No, all good that to go. stuff. But uh, uh, let's just say, and I, I, this is a question I think is going to be my my a question of every interview. Let's just say uh, all the stars align. You got all the money you ever need for the remainder of your life. Um, what do you do musically? Like, where, where did what, what do you do as far as music is concerned? What are some things that you would like to do if you had unlimited? That's it. If you had unlimited resources, what would you like to do with uh, with your music, and in what direction would you take it? That's an interesting question. Uh, and this is going to sound like a crazy answer, and probably I'll get painted with the coop brush again. I am anti wealth. <laughs> So what I would likely do is I would likely give most of that money away uh, and have enough to, to live on. But um, but I think that musically I've done most of what I wanted to do. And I don't know. I don't really know that, you know, other than <clears throat> excuse me, other than paying my way into things, uh, which I'm kind of against. I can't imagine getting any more out of it than I'm getting gotcha. because this at this point I'm kind of for me, I'm creating the art that I want to hear. Uh, and no, really, I'm not really concerned really about what other people think of it so much anymore. I got you. Well, I wasn't necessarily <clears throat> saying that you become wealthy, but let's say someone with unlimited. Sure. Oh, got it. Yeah. Uh, some, it's Even if it's somebody else with unlimited resources just says, hey, man, you don't have to get famous. You don't have to be a superstar. But yeah. whatever resources you need to do what it is you want to do, they're at your they're 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 yours to to use that 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 was more yeah. like, I think I would I would love to have a studio that was fully equipped on its own. You know, if, if I'm if I'm able to put all the money into in the music, I'd likely want to build a studio freestanding where others could come and record and do what I'm doing now, but just make it available to people that 
wanted to come and collaborate on music that for the purposes of art. Gotcha. Yeah. I got you. You, you and I, you and I line up a lot uh, in that, um, in that chain of thought because you can't see it behind me, but I've got, you know, I've got my keyboard set up over here. I've got mm -hmm. the sound foam and the condenser mic. Yeah. And, and this where I'm sitting is kind of a uh, uh, control room central with the board and the laptop and everything. Right. So, you know, I was talking with the wife about maybe closing this room off and doing the same thing, but, or, or, or at least a full for me would be a full multimedia. So I could do, because I like to do little, I'm not. Yeah. Like building not, a TV studio almost. Yeah. I'm not the kind of person that, that wants to do TikTok videos and YouTube videos to get famous, but I like being creative and sure. I would love to be able to have that available to me where I could have, I could have one giant room dedicated to the music and another room where I could roll in and have, you know, change wardrobes and do one of those videos where there's six of me, you know, doing some temptations or singing one of my original pieces, something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and now the other question that I wanted to ask you, I meant, I should have asked you this earlier in the interview because we're getting, kind of winding down now, but that, that this, this actually did worked out perfect because last question kind of ties into this one. What have you found is the most difficult part of, um, independently producing and marketing and like so you you basically everything is out of pocket for you guys right oh yeah 100 percent. yeah we we had we talked to a couple of very small labels that are that are well known in the genre that we're in very small that wanted to put out a single here or, you know they, they actually came to us recently and, and talked about putting something out in january but the thing is it really doesn't matter because on your own you can put out and distribute music uh, as long as you have the funds to do it, right? And so if we produce it ourselves, we can make the most money back as people are purchasing it. T-shirts are a great example. You know, we produced and purchased all of our T-shirts and we make 100% of the profit um, as a result. So in terms of, the, in terms of the, the most difficult part, I'd say it's the glut of music that exists online that, you ha that people have to sift through to find you. Um, because we talked about that big sort of third world of musicians that exist. Right. In that third world, there is a, a hierarchy of quality, but you don't get to see it because it all exists at the same spot. How many people can be on Facebook? You know, it used to be with a MySpace, at least you could quickly go through, you know, tons of pages every day and decide whether you like something or not and follow it. Mm -hmm. But Facebook's not built for that. Right. And so, uh, there is no place to go that's sort of like a global radio station to hear a whole bunch of stuff. So it's either YouTube or whatever. It's just not built the same as MySpace was. And right. I hate thinking about MySpace being a superior product, but for music, MySpace was a huge benefit. You know, I never really got into the music thing on MySpace. It was just, well, oh, at that man. Point, I, I never got, I never got that far. And I, maybe I should have, but, uh, you know, at that point I was singing with a, it was a, a duo. The two of us were doing sure. it. Um, but I, I never got that far. I, I didn't realize the potential for the music until after everybody jumped ship and came over to Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think. And that's a hard thing for as for any musician. Um, you hit it right on the head. The Internet. Who knew some almost 30 odd years ago when the Internet became available for public consumption, that that would essentially change the face of how people are able to market their products. 
Or how do you watch? How you watch a movie? How you listen to music? How you even experience music? I never would. You you couldn't have told me back when I was you know a sophomore in college that one day if I wanted to watch a movie that I wasn't going to have to go to a theater. Right. And and by well, of course, back thirty years ago then too. And this is us dating ourselves again. The matinee, the the regular show was uh, four dollars. The matinee was two dollars, and the popcorn. I think the large was a buck fifty. Mm. And now you have to spend, um, God, you almost have to spend a car insurance payment to take a family of four. It might be a car payment (laughs) if everybody gets something just to go to the movies with the tickets and the popcorn and the soda. You couldn't have told me that back then. You couldn't have told me uh, you could be able to record and package and design. And, you know, because I like you, one man show, write all the music. Uh, and you have a band. You had the benefit of a band. I write all the music. I got to produce it all. I got to do all the tracks, do all the singing, all the marketing. So that, so that was. I, I'm just curious. What is the most that, that if that was? What is the most difficult thing? Um, you know, just getting your music out there. Because I mean, not only that, you got to deal with copyright. Because you, you, it's not just for those of you that are interested in getting into business. It's not just. It's not just. Hey, I recorded a song. I'm going to put it out and, and hope people like it. There's also making sure your music is copywritten. If you got a logo, getting a trademark, you know, if you, if you run a business, you got to get your business license and do your taxes and declare, you know, you got to declare tax on the merch that you sell. If you make over a certain amount, X, Y, Z, it's a whole, it's a show. And I, I, you have managed sir, to navigate that very successfully um, in the time that I have been aware of it. And uh, I, I thank you. I consider it a privilege to have had you on the show today. And I, oh, I, I want to open this. I just know that the door is open for you to come back and join us when everything opens up and things start moving again. I'd love yeah. to come back and kind of get a comparison then versus now. Well, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been an amazing experience here. I mean, I haven't done a, a, a official interview in over a year. Uh, so it's uh, kind of nice to get back to business. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's what we're here for. I want to reach out and find people all over the place and say, Hey, look, nothing's moving right now. So let's get your face out there so people can at least, you know what I'm saying? So if somebody that's never heard of you before that might be watching this or watching a replay. And by the way, uh, if you'd like to catch the replays, the replays are available, will be available, um, at youtube.com backslash Mr. Fingers. They will also be available at the Indian Unsigned uh, Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com backslash Zagniff, Indian Unsigned. Uh, that is Z-A-G-N-I-F, Indy and Unsigned, with the A spelled all the way out, and Unsigned. You can find it there. Uh, <clears throat> find a podcast of Podbean. I will give you the link for where to go and find the, the podcast, sir, once the show mm-hmm. is over. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we do appreciate you for tuning in to today's episode season two episode two we're gonna we're gonna go out i normally go out with my theme but we're gonna go back out with apocalyptica the same way we came in ladies and gentlemen ian kane mcgregor ian my friend take care of your family uh we'll talk stay with me we'll get up after we go off air ladies and gentlemen boys and girls we appreciate you uh stay tuned next week when my guest is fredericksburg virginia stand-up comedian and a personal friend of mine, I call him nephew. He calls me uncle. I don't know if that's a sideswipe at my age, but I'll take it. Brandon.